Welcome to Sunday Commentary, a weekly program designed to break open the Sunday Scripture readings. Join us as we listen to God's Word and seek to grow in our love and understanding for the good news in our lives. And now, Sunday Commentary with Kevin Doran and Carla Wehrman. The Liturgical Scripture Readings for the Fourth Sunday of Advent A reading from the book of the prophet Micah Thus says the Lord, You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient times. Therefore the Lord will give them up until the time when she who is to give birth has born, and the rest of his kindred shall return to the children of Israel. He shall stand firm and shepherd his flock by the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God, and they shall remain, for now his greatness shall reach to the ends of the earth. He shall be peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Responsorial Psalm. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. O shepherd of Israel, hearken from your throne upon the cherubim. Shine forth, rouse your power and come to save us. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. Once again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine and protect what your right hand has planted, the Son of Man whom you yourself made strong. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. May your help be with the man of your right hand, with the Son of Man whom you yourself made strong. Then we will no more withdraw from you. Give us new life and we will call upon your name. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In holocausts and sin offerings you took no delight. Then I said, As is written of me in the scroll, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. First, he says, Sacrifices and offerings, holocausts and sin offerings, you neither desired nor delighted in. These are offered according to the law. Then he says, Behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will... We have been consecrated through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the infant leaped in her womb And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are, Kevin, the fourth Sunday of Advent countdown, one more week to go, and let's not rush through it and lose out on this last week of Advent preparation. Even though even though <laughs> society's telling you that we've been having Christmas since like day after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one more week of quiet, how important that is. Absolutely. What a gift. Yeah. Really, it's a gift, isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, we will continue, and this will be our last installment of our Advent Minute uh, in our gospel today. Uh, we hear, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. So my Advent minute today is going to focus on the manger in the nativity scene. The manger is a reminder that Christ is indeed the bread of life. And um, The first man-made tabernacle in history was the Christ child's manger. Of course, Mary, of course, is the Ark of the New Covenant. Uh, you know, She was the holy tabernacle, that dwelling place from which Christ took flesh and blood. And when Christ was born, she placed him in that manger because there was no room for him at the inn. So what is a manger? I mean, actually, if you really think about it, uh, a manger is a food trough. It's a structure from which animals come to be nourished. And we know 30 years after Christ was placed in that manger, he instituted the sacraments of the priesthood and the Eucharist in which to nourish us. So when you gaze upon the manger this season, reflect upon how Jesus' makeshift bedding prefigures the bread of life discourse in John's gospel and bring a whole new meaning to that manger that's in your nativity scene this year. So that is our Advent Minute. Well, we're going to start with our readings, but first I want to tell you a little bit about Micah. So Micah was this country boy. He was a contemporary of Isaiah around 740 to 700 BC. And guess what he was doing, Carla? He was rebuking the corrupt ways of city dwellers in Samaria and Jerusalem. Mm, so, <laughs> so they had the same problem. Huh? So the same problem. This is not a new problem. So, so I, I'm going to go down a reflection before we head into Micah. But, you know, what is it about large cities and corruption? I mean, why does there seem to be a connection between large cities and socialism and leftism? I mean, really, I, quite frankly, I mean, not all large cities trend towards socialism, but you will find very few, if any, socialist small towns. So as I was reading this and I read about Micah and I was you know, calling out corruption, I, I wanted to take a little bit of time to kind of reflect and discuss that for a little bit. Because it's, it's, again, something we're seeing in our society today. Now, socialism very basically is a state-controlled business, but I think it goes way beyond that. I'm not going to go into that. A lot of godlessness, a lot of anti-family. Um, but I would say even worse than that, a leftism that we're seeing in our country today is someone who hates our own country, someone who hates the genius of our country's founding documents. It hates our country's history and all the opportunities that have provided. Now, we certainly have had a checkered history, but indeed there has been so many opportunities that as we've grown as a country, how beautiful our founding documents and our country was founded on. Um, and so my question that I kind of asked myself is, um, you know, are socialists drawn to big cities? Or do big cities turn good people into socialists? And, and I want to be very clear up front. A Catholic cannot be a socialist. Uh, there is a very good book by Trent Horn and Catherine Pakaluk. Uh, Can a Catholic be socialist? And not right on the cover, it says, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil. Here's a spoiler. The answer is no. <laughs> so, you know, I was reflecting on this. And, and actually, I turned to the 
one of the the wisdom of my daughter-in-law and she said you know what uh she says that the big city in and of itself does not make someone socialist but there is a lack of family structure there's a lack of unity there's a lack of support that's often missing with people who live in large cities and i loved her wisdom and insight into this because quite frankly without the stability of that fundamental unit of society people are going to turn to government and not family for support. So I really appreciated her insight in that. And so that made me think about a book that I read a while while ago called The Coddling of the American La- uh, Mind. It's by Greg Lukianoff and Joseph he- uh, Jonathan Haidt. And, and it really brought up, and I wanted to share this, three great untruths in our society that we hear today. The first great untruth, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. It's the untruth of fragility. The second one, Always trust your feelings. It's that untruth of emotional reasoning. The third untruth, life is a battle between good people and evil people. It's that untruth of us versus them. So as you're looking at social media or you know other media outlets and streams, think about how great untruths must meet three criteria. These criteria are this. The untruth has to contradict ancient wisdom, meaning ideas found widely in wisdom literature in many cultures. An untruth has to contradict modern psychological research on well-being. And an untruth has to be something that harms the individual and communities that embrace it. So when you look at those three things and you see all your streams coming in and you're looking at something on TV, if it hits those things, boom. That's a big fat lie right there, and you have to reject that. So again, we got to turn away from this socialism, this leftism. We got to turn back to our family and how important that is. So that is my little rants, and now we can kind of go into Micah, Carla. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and, and in, in this particular reading, uh, the prophet Micah shares a prophecy that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, God was already announcing to the world through the prophets, what it was that he planned to do and how he planned to do it. And this reading is an example of that, right? Part of the plan included a virgin, a woman whose heart he knew would remain faithful and obedient, and a woman whom God prepared in advance to take on the role as mother of God by shielding her from the scene of original sin. Amen to that. And and so what we see here is how there was this prediction of the messianic birthplace as you talked, you know, and and they had this heart, they had this head knowledge, okay? We knew we had come from Bethlehem, but they needed to make that head-heart connection, not something empty rituals that we're talking about. They needed to kind of really bring that in and live their life uh, from their heart. And that's really what we see from the second reading here, which it says here, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Well, Wait a second here, because we're Catholics, we have the beautiful sacrifice of the Mass. So what is really going on here? Again, I want to bring back that head-heart connection. And really, this comes from a reference from Psalm 51. That's what Christ was referring to. Psalm 51, verse 16. For thou hast no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give you a burnt offering, thou would not be pleased. Well, wait a second here. What is the problem here? The challenge that they're going to bring up here is the next verse. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And then it finishes, then with that broken spirit, then you will delight in right sacrifices, burnt offerings and whole offerings, then bulls will be offered on their altar. 
So what we're saying here is it's the empty sacrifices that God does not want. He wants, again, that full, wholehearted, head-heart connection, and then we will, you know, God will accept that right sacrifice. Right. And so the reading is telling us that under the new covenant, that ancient right of animal sacrifice is no longer necessary because through the sacrifice of Jesus, God's plan for redemption has been fulfilled. Jesus' institution of the holy sacrifice of the mass allows us to enter into his passion and death and celebrate his glorious resurrection to new life. When we participate in the celebration of the Holy Mass, we can obtain graces that bring us closer to God, graces that can manifest in our hearts a true desire to live our lives always united to God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And to live united, we see what a beautiful personal life that Mary, of course, when she visited Elizabeth here in the gospel here, um, we see how this happens. And, and most of the time, Carla, we focus on on Mary in here. And this time I went and um, actually found some nice writings about reflecting on Zachariah and Elizabeth. I mean, because think about in our fast-paced world these days, we go ahead and we can't even wait a minute or, man, this red light's too too slow. <laughs> but yet, Zachariah and Elizabeth experienced a lifetime of waiting, really in a desert circumstance. And they had stigmas of unfaithfulness because she was bare, unbarren. But yet, Again, when he brought, when Mary visited Elizabeth, right, the Lord has done this for me. She granted a beautiful baby in John the Baptist. It was personal for her. And so we also may have seasons of waiting that we make sure that we, we always unite that to Christ. Indeed, yes. And we are quickly approaching Christmas Eve, the beginning of the Christmas season. And hopefully we've had time. We've spent this Advent season preparing our hearts and our minds so that we are prepared to greet the newborn King and his blessed mother with the same kind of joy and enthusiasm as Elizabeth. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Commentary with Kevin Doran and Carla Wehrman, produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com. <laughs>